What a fucking disappointment. I saw those eggs, I thought it was Christmas. We'll all have eggs again, once everything's back to normal. Oh, you muppet. I mean, look at him, right? Look, he's still waiting for Marks and Spencer's to reopen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mate, you don't know nothing. Well, I think Bill's got a point. If you look at the whole life of the planet, we, you know, man, has only been around for a few blinks of an eye. So if the infection wipes us all out, that is a return to normality. That we meant, Bill. Yeah, yeah. That cheery bit of philosophy was from 28 Days Later, in a scene where a group of soldiers muse on the future of the British Isles after a zombie-like pandemic has gripped it. What and when does normal look like? Haven't got a clue. But don't worry, sellouts, we've got something much better than Marks and Spencer's reopening, a new season of Cellcast, and what to look forward to once cinemas reopen. And also, what upcoming films we'd like to keep in lockdown, even when we're free to have as many eggs as we want. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. You're listening to Cellcast. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. You muppet! You muppet! So, obviously the the greatest tragedy during this lockdown uh, has been the closing of all the cinemas. I think everyone would agree that, that that's affected our lives really, uh, really horribly. Well, especially from our point of views. Yeah, because we just started a podcast and we can't review any movies that are coming out via uh, cinema. Yeah, they're not link. Uh, they're not leaking the best VODs. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're sort of giving us the stuff that probably would have ended up on VOD anyway, or the stuff that they're not really confident could probably make that much money at the box office anyway. Yeah, there really isn't a wide diversity. Owing to that, we really just haven't found anything this week that we really want to review. So uh, instead, we wanted to fill you with hope and fill you with despair as well, um, because we're, you know, loving film gods, but also vengeful film gods at the same time. See, the thing is, is that lockdown is kind of a, a blessing and a curse in terms of cinema, because there are lots of films that have been delayed, and we were really looking forward to seeing them, and some of them have just been pushed to a later date this year, some of them much later, some of them it's just a question mark when they're actually even going to be released. If they're going to be released. If they're going to be released, yeah. Which is really disappointing, and yet at the same time, it does mean that there's a whole lot of stuff that we now don't have to endure for another few months or a year or something and that is actually quite nice so we've each got two films that have been delayed by lockdown that we can't wait to see once this is finally lifted and we've got two films for me and one film for Sam that we really wish would just stay on the shelf even after lockdown so there's some things to look forward to and some things to not look forward to and the cycle of Life and the film industry continues. So, Sam, what are you looking forward to coming out? Well, I think it'd be rude not to start this with talking about Tenet because it is the most uh, highly anticipated film of the summer, or it was. So, it's the next Christopher Nolan film. Uh, Great for our rep. We, you know, will look like even bigger film wankers. Now we're just, you know, jumping on the Christopher Nolan bandwagon. Well, no, I don't think you even need to be a Christopher Nolan fan to um, to anticipate one of his films. I think whether you like him or not, and there are people that sort of 
don't quite like some of his sort of filmmaking sensibilities. It is, you know, he makes films that are at the cutting edge of technology. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear Holocaust. No. Something worse. So Tenet is, was set to be released on July 17th. It's still set to be released on July 17th, so nothing has quite changed there. Um, when the coronavirus hit, I think they were in the latter stages of the post-production, um, whether they were just adding visual effects or tinkering with it slightly um, in the edit process. The official synopsis is the protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time, not time travel inversion. <laughs> so it's basically like a Christopher Nolan mystery box. Yeah. We have no real idea what we're going to get. Uh, we just know it's going to be very Nolan-y because it's obviously, it's like a big shiny action thriller, but with timey-wimey like head fucky stuff going on in it at the same time. And then we'll ultimately ask a question about, you know, the human experience, I expect, at some point. Because that's generally a Christopher Nolan film, right? So I've seen the first trailer of Tenet. I've stayed away from the second. I just want to go in as blind as possible because the less you know about a Nolan film going in, the more impact it has on you once you've seen it. I haven't always done this with his work. I've liked to, you know, watch every trailer, read as much about it beforehand. But um, Tenet just looks like it's completely off the scale. So I've not watched the second trailer. I just want to see as much of it from a new perspective, really. Yeah, I've joined you in this uh, religious piety of the Church of Nolan as well in not watching the second trailer. Um, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm unashamedly, uh, we are both unashamedly big Nolan people. I, yeah, I, I want that big impact as well. Inception is my favourite Christopher Nolan film. And so the idea of doing another kind of like thriller with, with that science fiction edge, I think is just, a, it's, it's going to reliably be a great watch. Mm. Yeah, we do know that it stars Robert Pattinson, John David Washington, Elizabeth Debicki and Kenneth Branagh. So we do know something about the cast. They're all featured in the first trailer. Um, obviously not sure about the second trailer. What I would say about the release date, though, is that when the second trailer was put out there on May 21st, um, there was no official release date after. So maybe around this point that we're recording the podcast, Warner Brothers is sort of less sure about when it's going to come out. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because Tenet is the one film in this whole process that has kind of kept alive and uh, for film fans like us kept our hopes alive because it's the thing that hasn't actually been delayed yet yeah. and I think what the reason is is that because it's Christopher Nolan they know a lot of people are going to go and see it July is this time where they think it's possible that they could start opening up cinemas and Tenet will be their their big impact back for the film industry you know it was supposed to lose like five billion dollars potentially for for the whole industry um so they're hoping by july the cinemas will be back open tenet will make a big impact and um make a massive box office return because everyone will want to go out again everyone want to go into cinema and ah there's a christopher nolan film in the cinemas so uh but i think it still belongs in this list because I think everything is subject to change. Yeah, I mean, it's a tentpole film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and if Warner Brothers make sure that it's the film that everyone comes back and sees, it's going to make a ridiculous amount of money. Even if you weren't going to go see it 
before the coronavirus, you're going to go see it now because it's that big film in cinemas mm. that um, is going to be better because you've seen it on a big screen due to all the um, technical and visual effects. Yeah. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. And try to understand it. Feel it. So the, the first film I'm going to talk about is St. Maud, which is a horror movie about um, a care worker with a slightly uh, suspicious past that's looking over a very rich, quite ill, middle-aged woman. And the carer is called Maud, and she is a deeply, deeply religious woman, but also pretty ostracised from society doesn't have a lot of connections her 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 main passion in life is being a care worker and through uh, her relationship with her religion Maud also has a very distinctive relationship with God she feels that she's communicating directly with God because she feels deep sexual ecstasy every time God communicates with her and she wants to express this uh, even more through various sadomasochistic ways as well so it's bound to get a bit uh, weird <laughs> um, yeah so it's PG then so it's PG yeah <laughs> it's fun for the whole family don't say I didn't want you you must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen I'm ready and open I feel fuller of your love than ever before I'm really looking forward to this because mainly my, my uh, our sister that went to a film festival would come back and report to us about what she'd seen she came back from St Maud and she said I don't want to talk about it and I said oh but what, that's interesting you don't want it and she said I don't want to talk about it I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to discuss it um, yeah that's, that's it I don't want to talk about it now she did this before she went to see a film called Borders and she said I don't want to talk about it and I, that immediately piqued my interest so I and I went to see Borders and I loved it and now I've seen the trailer of St. Maud, it really looks like my cup of tea. And if it's if it's weird enough to shock Calf, then this could be something really, really special. Plus, it's got a lot of stuff in there I, I really like. Um, I really like the idea of a, a, a kind of twisted sexuality wrapped up with religion and a kind of obsession. There's something quite... There's something about those those things that I, I really like. I think that's quite it's quite provocative in a way that I quite enjoy. And also all the effects and the way they're going to try and show this look really like visceral. Lots of splatters and schlocks and then also like weird sexualized religious visions that people are having. Um, I just think that all sounds like absolutely my cup of tea. Yeah, I've seen the trailer for this, um, and it just looks like one of those independent horror films that could really sort of pierce through into the mainstream, just in terms of the yeah the subject matter. It looks really controversial, um, but also really experimental as well. Um, when I first saw it, I sort of compared it to The Witch in a way. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't seen The Witch, but The Witch is one of those films. It was directed by Robert Eggers, I yeah. think, and obviously since then... He's gone on to make The Lighthouse. He's been given a bigger budget. Still an independent film um, made by A24, the sort of uh, progressive production company. Yeah. But maybe, um, yeah, this is the type of film that 
off the back of this, like some of the actors and some of the creative crew involved could go on and make um, make something on a bigger stage. If, yeah. if, if it's successful, of course. Yeah, if it's successful. I mean, um, they're not... All everyone's in uh, in there are big names. They they'll be faces that you kind of recognise. But the uh, writer director Rose Glass. This is her first full length film, uh, and that's one of the reasons it's on my list as well. The the, the blockbusters out there, um, your Wonder Woman's and your Black Widows, they will always get a release date. They'll always get bums on seats. People are always going to go and see them. But it's these independent films actually that always need as many people to go and see them as possible and they could be really really worthwhile and if an independent film comes out at just the right time then it can really it can capture an audience's um, attention and it becomes really memorable and then whoever made it so rose glass this is like i said it's her first feature-length film she can go off and make um, a bunch of other really cool stuff as well so i think that's also kind of why i'm recommending it because coronavirus means that those opportunities are going to be lessened, and it's a shame. Well, what's happened to the release date of St. Maud's? Like, it's just been benched. It's, it's just no, been benched completely, so there's no it's just, date that it, it's going to be released. It, it was supposed to come out in in May, and then they just said, oh, it's, we, we, it's just been postponed. There's no extra release date on that. See, that's devastating, especially for a first-time filmmaker. Yeah. You've worked for years and years and years to write something, get it produced, get the finances for it. And then to have it all being built up, to have the trailer released, yep, and then to have the release date cancelled. That's I, I feel so sorry for her and the team behind that film. Yeah, it's really it's really crap. Um, but that's the point, isn't it? Is that again, Black Widow gets a, uh, a another release date, and so does a lot of the other films that we're, we're probably going to talk about. Well, exactly, the indie films, indie films don't because they just say mm, we don't know. Exactly, like uh, Warner Brothers don't go to Christopher Nolan and be like, yeah, I think Tenet's just not going to come out at all. Like, I know you've spent $200 million on it, but yeah, I'm not sure when we're going to fit it in. You know, they'll always know it's going to yeah. come out at some point, whether it's this summer, whether it's oh, like whether it's in uh, next Christmas, you know, whenever. Like, it will come out sometime in 2020. Those, you know, indie films that are, are made with sort of blood, sweat and tears, you just... Don't know when when it's going to happen for them. Yeah. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me, my little savior. So, what else are you looking forward to? So, I was really looking forward to the French Dispatch, which is the new Wes Anderson film. Yeah, um, it's sort of a love letter to journalists set at an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city. It's sort of it's three storylines that involve different journalists working for the magazine. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. It's supposed to be charming. Um, it's all, From the trailer, it just looks absurd, dry, truly original with a really rich vision which is sort of what you expect from Pretty, Wes Anderson. yeah again par for the course for for old Wes yeah typically great ensemble cast that he's put together Benicio Del Toro Adrian Brody Tilda Swinton 
Timothy Chamelay, um, yeah, the sort of the list goes on, really. There's always like a long line of people that want to work with Wes Anderson, so it's always a reliably brilliant ensemble cast. Absolutely, yeah, and the even from the stories that people tell of being on set with Wes Anderson, it's not as if people go to their sort of their trailers and just sort of just go away and be like, oh, I'll, I'll get ready for my next scene. Everyone stays on set, like collaborating together. Um, it sounds like such a wholesome place, a Wes Anderson film. Like, I heard Tilda Swinton, like, talk about it. And it's like, everybody eat, eats dinner together, like, in, the, in these, on these big, long tables or something. And it's just like, it's it just sounds like a really nice environment. Yeah, really harmonious. And um, in the trailer, like, each frame has so much detail. Even though the length of one shot might be less than two seconds. There's just so much packed into the, the mise-en-scene. And like, the contrast of colour in the film looks incredible too. And it's his first film since 2018's Isle of Dogs, which was a bit more divisive. Yeah. Usually his films are sort of like universally celebrated, but that was a film that sort of had a bit of a controversial reaction to it. Uh, so hopefully this is like a bit of a return to form for him. Not as if like Isle of Dogs was particularly bad in any way. No, but it was a bit mixed. I, I didn't love Isle of Dogs as much as some of his other stuff. I actually um, was quite surprised to see this on your list because... You're not always as into him as 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 I am. I've had a bit of a checkered history with him. Um, I'll admit I haven't seen all of his films. There are films that I like, that Rushmore, for example, which I remember when I first watched it. I really liked it and buying it on video. Yes, it was, it was that long ago. Really. <laughs> but um, on on repeat viewings for it, I haven't liked it as much, and um, I found it sort of more annoying and twee. than a lot of films. But the Grand Budapest Hotel would be sort of amongst the best films I've ever seen. Um, I just really liked that vision and again that ensemble cast and from the trailer of the French Dispatch I do wonder with the considering like the European setting whether there's a lot of comparisons you're going to be be able to make between that and the Grand Budapest Hotel Um, so how has coronavirus affected it Um, so it was set to be released on July 24th um, so slap bang in the middle of the summer and and now we have to wait till October 16th to see it (sighs) That sucks. That's really, really disappointing. Yeah, it's because I think he's a very a relatively reliable filmmaker. I do agree that like I, I think some of his films I like, some of them I don't like, but generally I think he's he's relatively reliable. So it's a shame we have to postpone him for that. Plus, it's all about journalism, and you love films about journalism as well. So I do. That, so that must be a good. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be all the president's men um, in terms of, you know, that sort of being that much based in reality. No. Uh, but, um, it'll yeah. be to Maybe it'll be to journalism as uh, the life aquatic was to deep sea research. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think he really, he's a big fan of The New Yorker. So I think it's based, um, some of the stories that involve the journalists based on real New, York, New Yorker articles. Oh, um, right. So, yeah, there is sort of like a, a tinge of, of, of realism and something that's based on, on fact in there. A message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. So what's your next film? Um, it is The Green Knight, which is... Uh, from director David Lowry, who's made some things like um, Ghost Story and Ain't Them Body Saints. But to be honest, I've never seen a David Lowry film. Uh, this is just another film that um, I saw the trailer for and immediately pushed all my buttons. Uh, it's a retelling of the Arthurian story of 
uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is about uh, one of Arthur's knights receives a challenge from another visiting knight, and supernaturally things occur. I mean, honestly, I think you can Wikipedia the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, because from, from the trailer... It's unclear how closely it's going to stick to that story or how, or, and how much it's going to go off on its own weird tangent. Tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. I have none to tell. Yet. You have none to tell yet. Uh, the reason I'm recommending it is because I just, like I say, it just pushes all my buttons. Immediately from the opening of the trailer, it's got all these really trippy, lyrical, poetic visions. It looks like going to visit a medieval castle while dropping a load of acid, which is exactly my idea of a good time when watching a film, of course. Don't do that in real life. But like, but for, for watching a film, that's a wonderful inspiration because it means you get all this like weird and wonderful, maybe dreamlike, maybe nightmarish like stuff come at you, like fiery crowns and soldiers made of trees and the whole world like spinning around and and weird gothic premonitions told through puppet shows. It's just. It just looks like um, absolutely my cup of tea. I do feel uh, slightly like even more than other film hipster than I usually do because both this and Saint Maud are films from A24, which is a very popular distributor of um, acclaimed indie films, but is also perhaps gets uh, labelled as a bit of a stereotype for being a film elitist and a film hipster and both of these are quite out there not very mainstream and full of trippy psychedelic weirdness so there's kind of a theme with both of the things I've picked and when's the new release date for uh, The Green Knight? well this was supposed to have been released a week ago um, but it's another film which has just been pulled from the schedule no no new release date at all so again it's the curse of the the indie film right I mean you uh, every the big things they're going to get their big release date, but I have no idea when or if I'm going to see the Green Knight or Saint Maud. I mean, I say if. I mean, I will see these films eventually, but even a studio as successful as A24 need to be really cautious when they're releasing indie films because they can't be sure of putting something in the wrong place could absolutely doom it. So, you know, it's it's just the tragedy of these kind of films. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. So what film do you really wish they they were going to keep on lockdown? So The King of Stanton Island is the latest one directed by Judd Apatow. Yep. Uh, I'm sort of cheating slightly with this because it was scheduled to have its world premiere in South by Southwest. Um, and then the Tribeca Film Festival, but both of those were cancelled due to the coronavirus. Um, so, unfortunately, we're going to get this film the 12th of June. Uh, it's coming out <laughs> on June 12th. So, actually, we probably could have waited. If it had been picked up by a distribution company and released in cinemas, it might not have been till September. So, the fact that it's coming out on the 12th of June on Netflix probably shows that, you know, they've sort of decided to release it 
quicker than it was supposed to be. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not really a fan of Judd Apatow films. Sort of knocked up and 40-year-old version of Dated. There's sort of lazy characters and jokes that have been better executed in other Apatow-produced films. So ones that he's been involved with, but not in terms of sitting in like the big chair directing it. Yeah. Um, Funny People was a huge misstep. Um, and I haven't seen this as 40. Um, I have, and it's... I mean, it's 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 fine. I I, I uh, uh, I'm relatively ambivalent about Judd Apatow. I mean, he 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 either t- passes the time nicely or he's incredibly irritating. And depending on what mood I'm in, it just depends how much I can tolerate a Judd Apatow film. I think we can both agree though that Trainwreck is his worst film. Oh, I fucking hated Trainwreck. Like it was just. Uh, I it's mean, a nothing. It, it's a nothing concept without any jokes, and they're filled with. Loads of arbitrary celebrity cameos. So LeBron James has like a big part in it. Um, LeBron James is one of like the most famous and greatest ever um, NBA players. But he adds nothing to the film. He's just there because he's LeBron James. And there's huge scenes just with celebrities. And it's almost as if they've kind of thought, oh, look, we'll put a celebrity in there. That's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, they're playing themselves and... It's funny, isn't it? It's like there are just no jokes in there. There's no structure to it. I think that's a bit harsh, Sam. I mean, at one point, LeBron James starts reading the lyrics of a Kanye West song. I mean, that's funny, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's... Again, I'll go back to it. It's just a nothing concept. I think it's weird with Trainwreck. I mean, I know we're supposed to be talking about uh, the King of Staten Island, but it's just weird with Trainwreck that it's supposed to be a film about, like, a woman that doesn't live by the normal rules as everyone else but ultimately it's a film about oh no everyone can end up in just a normal relationship and follow the same path as everyone else in the end it's just that different people are like damaged in different ways but eventually relationships will heal you it's a bit of a backwards concept yeah because it's marketed as that as you know um uh, uh, amy schumer obviously stars in it and she plays this sort of woman going through like a really difficult time, just she's sort of all over the place. And yeah, it, it's like that for about 20 minutes. And that's probably the most interesting part of the film. Then she gets into a relationship and, you know, everything's fine. It all gets fixed. Sure, they have their difficulties, but in the end, it all turns out for her. And it's like, wow, I could have just watched any other romantic comedy. But the point that was... Fu- that, uh, that's going to be a lot funnier. But the point was supposed to be that she was living this life. that, Like, from the trailer, she was living this life where she was, she was drinking all the time and being promiscuous. But she was, like, happy with it. And then she bumps into someone that maybe, like, is living a similar kind of life to... And the thing is, I like Amy Schumer. I I really like her as a comedian, and I like her TV show and stuff. It's just, I think this kind of thing was wasted on her. But, like, you wonder whether maybe the king of Staten Island... Because, I mean, you tell us... It feels like, actually, what Judd Apatow is doing now is he's going to comedians, and he's kind of creating a, a film that's based loosely off their life, like... Amy Schumer, she's been quite open that she uh, used to live like a a more party lifestyle. So perhaps like Trainwreck is like taking bits from her life a little bit. 
and I think the King of Staten Island is, is, is trying to do the same thing. Yeah, so it stars Pete Davidson playing a version of himself. Um, he has to get his life together after his sister goes to college. Um, it's also part of him trying to deal with the death of his firefighter father who um, died on 9-11. So from the trailer, it sort of looks like immature guy, has nothing in his life, over 90 minutes, he learns a few lessons and comes out the other side a better person, which is pretty much the premise for every single Judd Apatow film. So, yeah, it looks pretty formulaic in that regard. But actually, I think maybe they are trying to be a bit more serious for this one. There's less celebrity cameos. I've looked at IMDb. There's no LeBron James isn't coming like, out of nowhere and you know, reading lyrics of a Kanye West song. Um, so, you know, it might be actually one of his, it might be even be his best film, um, even though that's not a big ask. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Um, I get, uh, not to depress you further, but I get the feeling that with the current climate and everybody watching a lot more Netflix, uh, I, and I feel like this might be hard to prove, but I feel like a lot more people are going to end up watching The King of Staten Island than have watched Trainwreck. I get it because the way that people are absorbing everything now, I think a comedy movie like this is actually going to be the kind of thing that people like just stick on quite passively. Yeah, I rewatched the trailer and actually um, there are a couple of jokes in the trailer that made me laugh. Um, so that's, you know, a couple more times than I did during Trainwreck. <laughs> I don't know. Let's. We'll wait and see. Maybe we'll review it on the show. Let's see. You know, it, you never know. It might yeah, surprise. Yeah, I'd like that actually. I'd be, I'd be quite. It's always interesting to see like um, a director that you don't like and see whether he sort of got away from sort of lazy ticks that he's put in previous films. Yeah. Okay. So, open minds. King of Staten Island. You got to get your shit together. Time is passing by very quickly. Why do you think I smoke weed all the time so I can slow it down? The first film I really wish would just stay locked down is Morbius, which is a superhero film uh, starring Jared Leto, and uh, it's based off a Marvel comic book character where uh, he's got a rare blood disease, he becomes a really uh, successful scientist trying to heal said blood disease, he tries to find a cure, it gives him superpowers um, that are like a bat and like a vampire and he now has to kind of deal try and balance out the fact that he has all these superpowers and now is super strong and fast and can like sonar about the place and i think he can teleport as well um but he also has a first for human blood so he has to kind of learn to balance those things out you know what's happening i went from dying i feel like more alive than ever Increased strength and speed. The ability to use echolocation. And an overpowering urge to consume blood. This film was supposed to come out in July of this year, but has been pushed to March of next year, which is a massive delay, which... For a start, like I mean, the the, the film looks shit. I mean, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It looks like rubbish, right? But it's funny to me that it's it's kind of been delayed by this amount of time because it sh- shows to me that they're in no rush to get this film out. Yeah, I saw that that it's coming out in twenty twenty one. How does it look rubbish though? From the trailer, what what's it? Um, I just literally, it's just I've seen this a million billion squillion times about a man who gets superpowers and then has to try and balance out some dark side of himself. We do not need another one of these movies. We really, really don't. And 
I, but what's more baffling to me is that, but basically, the, the reason I know uh, Morbius uh, is because when I was a kid, I, I watched the Spider-Man animated series, and he was like a minor villain in that, and he was just like, and, and, and it feels like one of those things where it's like a joke, right? They they say they're going to make a film based off of this D-list Spider-Man villain. Like, it, it's just weird. Like, it's Spider-Man's like vampire villain. Like, why, why are you making a movie out of this guy? He doesn't. He doesn't actually. There's there's nothing really significant or important about this this guy. I remember him from watching this, him in the Spider-Man animated series as a kid, but he was like silly even then. I I just don't know why they've done this, but of course I do know why they've done this because Venom made an ungodly amount of money f- for some reason because it was it was terrible, but oh, well because Tom Hardy was in it, right? But so they think well let's let's dig into spider-man villains find another dark one and and then make a movie out of it maybe even cast a, a bit of a cult actor like jared leto in it i'm sure that'll get like bums on seats i mean it worked last time with the formula so it just feels like another like cynical jab at a superhero film that's that's kind of been done before i mean there's um i think the other thing that starts to really annoy me about it is the kind of I mean, I know that Hollywood's always been a bit of a conveyor belt, but fucking hell, it's getting like it's getting bad with the superhero stuff now. Like, there's there's not even any questioning of of like I think from the from the fan base about why this movie has been made. Everybody just seems eager to 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 put it into some kind of continuity. Uh, I think it's supposed to fit into the same continuity as Venom, which is different from the continuity of the the marvel universe yeah it's gonna get very complex isn't it? <sighs> it's really not interesting if you, if you don't care about it it's really it's it's really not interesting but everybody start like a bunch of fanboys got like really excited because michael keaton shows up at the end so they were wondering whether he was playing his character from the spider-man films because he's in the spider-man films and everyone's getting like excited it's just like oh like actually that's what this is isn't it this isn't this isn't really about like making a good film is it it's just about like making just make another one make another one and then make 10 of them straight Bring them into a universe that you can have a theory about and argue with your pals about. The Marvelification. The Marvelification of it. It's not really about making quality. It's just making about something that's a universe that people can have theories about and draw big, like, diagrams and and have, like, chalkboard drawings connecting all of them together. Because it's that's, like, what's fun for people these days, rather than making a decent superhero film. I just think he's a he's such an odd character to make a movie about. They clearly haven't bothered to do anything interesting with him. Except, I didn't even realise this before we started recording, but it's directed by Daniel Espinosa. Who did Snabakash and Safe House. All those are his two best films. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, went on to do Child 44. Um, but I think Safe House is um, is a really well orchestrated uh, action film. Um, I think it's got a really good sort of structure in that. In terms of there's three big action set pieces, they all get better um, than the other. Uh, I think in season one we talked we talked a lot about action films and what makes a good action film, and I think. A lot of that is in uh, Safe House. You've been flying the flag for Safe House for quite a while, haven't you? You've always wanted to like champion it a bit as one of the best modern action movies. Yeah, definitely. Like um, Danny Espinosa is based on what he's his work before. He he is one with a lot of cachet in that genre. I don't know how he's going to transition to a superhero film. Um, doesn't look like it's going to work for me from the trailer. How far are we allowed to go? to fix something that's broken. 
until the remedy. is worse than the disease. The other film that I really wish they would keep locked up is Fast and Furious 9. Mm. Uh, you know, I hate to... I feel like I've become such a stereotype this episode because you basically have been championing two A24 films and now I'm crapping all over two big Hollywood releases. Um, I just... Fast and Furious 9 uh, is just the ninth or 10th or possibly like more film. I don't. Know, it depends how you count Fast and Furious like franchises. And so F nine was supposed to be accelerating onto your screens on May twenty second, twenty twenty, but then was put into a bit of a pit stop until April second, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Let's get to work. Please tell me that's not a Pontiac Fiero strapped to a rocket engine? Impressive. I know. No. No, that's that's not impressive. My ass is in fuego! I think my main opposition to the Fast and the Furious films is because they people keep telling me that that it's like the most fun that you can have in the cinema. It's got this real cult following, and every time I sit down, I'm like, are we watching the same movie? Yeah, I completely agree, yeah. I, I think, like, when people say that, it's if like, oh, it's just so much fun. There's so much escapism. It's like, well, there are different forms of escapism, I think. And, yeah, I think that, that, that whole franchise, to me, I just goes completely over my head. And I, I love, like, big, fun, dumb stuff. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't... You know, I, I, you know, we talked a lot about action movies. You know, in, in preceding episodes, right? You know, I, I love this genre and I love the idea behind it. But Fast and Furious always like leave me feeling like empty and uh, like I didn't really watch anything that had any spark or jolt to it. But people keep acting like they do, like they're just Vin Diesel has this kind of knowing meta performance, so. I, which I don't really get at all, and and like, um, but then that's why in this new one they've introduced he's got a brother played by John Cena who's also another like muscle man that people don't really take seriously. He's on the um, he's on the internet as a bit of a meme, and he's uh, kind of known for for for, have, for being a bit like uh, not afraid of appearing in films where he kind of makes fun of himself and makes fun of his image. Oh, like Trainwreck. Like, just like Trainwreck, yeah. Like Trainwreck, which he is in. So glad we talked so much about that film. Ah, uh, me too. I've nearly forgotten about it. So he's, so he's going to be in this. I guess it fits the same kind of audience. I just, I think to rip apart, like, the Fast and Furious in detail is going to take more time than we have here. I mean, I think in short, nothing about it is funny even people even though people feel it's silly i kind of feel like you are supposed to think that some of it's really cool or really fun it just comes off as like really immature and quite irritating like none of it works the way that people are supposed to like there's no real charisma between anyone there's no one like i'm never excited to see any of these relationships and ultimately the stunts are big yeah but like in preparation for this I actually went back and I watched the last scene from Fast and Furious 1 way back in 2001 when they actually did car stunts and then I and I also watched the obviously the trailer for Fast 9 and the the bit there seems to be a bit where Vin Diesel uh, a bridge breaks so he's like 
well, I'm just going to have to drive my car into what's left of the bridge and try and swing the car using the rope across a giant ravine. But obviously, it's all just computer-generated. I mean, again, I hate to fit into this image of the of the hipster, like, crapping all over CGI in Hollywood. But, like, Fast and Furious 1, even though it's using, um, obviously, Hollywood's editing tricks to make stuff seem to happen when it doesn't happen, like, it... It looks so much better to watch a car actually flip up in the air and and actually roll over and smash into things rather than just watching, like, a computer-generated car swing across a ravine on a rope. Like, I know that it's all computer magic, but something about seeing something, like, with your naked eye that you know is that you know's done on, like, the solid ground is just always going to be, like, more exciting... Yeah, I, 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 I still don't get Fast and Furious films, and I wish they'd just leave this one on, on the ledge. It's like people are speaking a different language. I came here to take you down, little brother. That's your mistake. This is my world. Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as Cellcast and come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine.